So we know that there's a lot that students need to be thinking about and getting ready for these really competitive programs. In this week's episode, we're going to be talking about a really important Penn State resource and its role in helping students organize their thoughts and reflections on their experiences, how they can use it to develop uh, their plan, and how they can use it to be really ready for this very complicated, intensive application process. So if you're getting ready to apply or really just want to get you know, ahead of the game, this week's episode is for you. Let's get started. And welcome back to the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast, the show to help all pre-health students on their journey to acceptance. Our goal each episode is to share information our students need to succeed, connect them with resources, answer questions, and make this stressful process just a little easier. Our episodes vary in length from a little over five minutes to around an hour. So tune in to our shorts on your walk between classes, or if you have more time, you can enjoy one of our longer episodes. In this week's episode, I am discussing a really important resource that we've developed here at Penn State, and that is our pre-health portfolio. So the first question you might have is, well, John, what is this portfolio of which you speak? Basically, it's an organized way for our students to ready themselves for a career in the health professions. We have two different portfolios depending on where you're at in your development as a candidate. And we house both of them on Canvas. So if you're looking for, if you're a first or second year and you're really just looking to get started, you can access the candidacy development portfolio and that's accessible in the pre-health advising canvas page so if you're not already a member please request access by using the form on our website uh, for this episode i will link that request form in the episode uh, description so once you get access to our pre-health advising um, canvas page then you can start to review some of our past recorded sessions. There's a lot of really helpful information in there, but a really important part of that is your access to this developmental portfolio. So how do you use it? Basically, it has a lot of different functions. So the developmental portfolio in particular, it provides you space to create a four-year academic plan. You know, not all of our students are in majors where all of the prereqs are built in. In fact, very few majors have it that sort of simple and straightforward. Pretty much all majors, except for the pre-medicine major at Penn State, require some sort of adjustments of requirements or specific approaches to things to fit everything in as degree requirements. So... That four-year plan gives you space to sort of break out when you're planning to do all of your med school prereqs or your dental prereqs, and when you're planning on doing your standardized test because you want to complete certain courses before then, and also how you complete can complete your other requirements because we don't want students to accidentally miss out on graduating on time. I'm really happy when our students are well-prepared for their future careers, but if you don't graduate on time, that's a much bigger problem. 
So we definitely want to prioritize getting all those degree requirements completed in a timely manner. So that's sort of one of the, the very first things that you'll do in the developmental portfolio. The other nice part of this portfolio is it has all of the prereqs for the the most common health professions that we work with. So if you're like, well, I don't think I even know what prereqs I need to take for dental school, you'll find a really nice exhaustive list of a lot of your options. Now, it's not a perfect resource because there's a lot of majors that there are some exceptions to be made. And that is absolutely something that we in pre-health can help you with. So if you're a biomedical engineering major or a mechanical engineering major or economics or immunology and infectious diseases, and you're not sort of the more standard options for um, prereqs, your prereqs may look a lot different than a lot of your fellow pre-meds, and that is fine. We have many students that sort of deviate from these norms that we have in terms of getting themselves ready in the classes that they choose to take, and that's fine. You know, if you are in a more non-traditional major, this is a great conversation to have with a pre-health advisor because we want you to make we want to make sure that you know what all of your options are and you're not doing, you know, sort of just what you think is best. We want to have a really intense in-depth discussion on that. But, you know, there's really great resources in there sort of showing you what are the most common prereqs and how can I accomplish that at Penn State. Also in there is the bulk of it is really dedicated to helping you develop your plan. So one of the first things that it talks about is preparing yourself for, you know, if you're applying MD, uh, the work and activities section, uh, a lot of the other health profession applications call it experiences and achievements. It sort of varies depending on what service, but basically it's the what have I done outside of class <laughs> section of your application. So. One of the things that we include in there is a resource from the AAMC. Every year they put out this report on how the standardized test for medical school, the MCAT, has been used in admissions that year. And one of the really helpful things in here is this beautiful table that shows the most important and then the least important items in a student's application as reported by admissions officers. So when they're looking at the application, what are the things that are most heavily weighted? So then as you are figuring out what choices you need to make to make yourself ready, you can really focus on the parts of your application that are going to be of most effect when you eventually submit your application. It's not to say that the other items that aren't in that top tier aren't still important, they're just less important to impacting the power of your overall application. And the other thing I want to mention here is just because overall something might be in the lowest tier doesn't mean that at certain schools those items aren't more heavily valued, right? So you'll find research in sort of a low tier there, but if you're applying to a place like Harvard or Stanford, Yale, Duke, Vanderbilt, Pitt, that becomes a lot more important and a much heavier influence on the overall admissions decision. So, you know, it's a, it's a helpful tool to sort of think about, am I focusing my efforts and attention on the right parts? Right after that, we talk about the core competencies. Now, we include the ones for medical school in here, but 
preparing yourself for those 15 core competencies is going to help you no matter what health profession you are moving towards. And that's because these are really generic, not super generic, but they're really broad topics that are good for any health professional. So as you're thinking about your experiences, what choices you're making, you want to make sure that you have experiences, achievements, activities that have helped you develop and demonstrate these competencies. You should not be a one-trick pony. You don't need to be an all-trick pony, but you should maybe have a few tricks (laughs) as a, a beautiful pony as much as you can. There's a section in the developmental portfolio that gives you space to write reflections on your shadowing experiences. One of the most frustrating things for me working with students who are applying is they'll have this large wealth of um, experiences where they were shadowing, but they have very little to say about what they actually got out of the experience. And frankly, that's the most important part to admissions officers. It's great to have 500 hours of shadowing experience, but if the most that you have to talk about it is that you love how they developed relationships with patients, like, dog, that ain't enough. You need to be able to dig deeper and find the nuance and connect that to your own personal story. That is how you drive shadowing experiences deeper. And it's how you separate the value of your experiences over, you know, another applicant's is to personalize it, run it through your filter, run it through your lens, your viewpoint on the world. It's why leading with your identity is so important in this process. And this space gives you the opportunity to provide those reflections. I encourage my students to do them at the end of every day so that when they have the time to go back and read what they were thinking, what they saw, what they thought, you get to do it in so much greater depth than just thinking back on an an experience that you had one or two years ago. You put yourself back into the mindset of the you who experienced that. And comparing that to who you are today and the thoughts and feelings that you have now can be really a really great exercise just in general. But B, it can help you be able to articulate your own growth which is a really great approach to the application process, especially in those work and experiences and shadowing opportunity sections. There's a section in that portfolio for you to start planning out your evaluators. One of the, another really stressful part for me working with students is I'll have a wonderful student who has prepared very well, has a really wonderful high GPA, has done all the right things, But one of the most important parts of the process is getting letters of recommendation and they don't have any good relationships with faculty and they can't find people to write letters for them. Schools are not flexible on these requirements. If you don't have the right number of science letters or non-science faculty letters, they're just going to deny you. They have thousands of other applicants who have the right distribution of letters. And it's a really quick way for some schools to eliminate candidates that aren't listening to the instructions. So if the school says, hey, you need two science faculty letters, hey, you better have two in your set. And planning for that ahead of time can really help you. 
a lot of times faculty here at Penn State will articulate their expectations of their students to be able to receive a letter of recommendation in their syllabus. So at the beginning of the semester, you can have a good sense of what's being expected. There are certain faculty that will ask you to write some reflection prompts uh, throughout the course of their course. There are some that request that you set up a meeting with them, which you should be doing with all of your letter writers, not just the ones that request it. But you can be a lot more proactive in saying, wow, I had this really incredible experience in this cell biology class where I had this incredible conversation with my instructor about how this concept that I learned in class is really personally relevant or has made me think differently about my future career goals as a future clinician. They, that, those things really help you later on is to be thinking about, oh, this was a great experience. I would love to have this as part of my application. And it gives you a great sort of place to think back every few, every semester or so to say, I should really reach back out to this professor. Maybe I can get, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes of their time to chat. That really makes a huge difference in the types of letters that we receive. And then the last part of the developmental uh, portfolio is some essay prompts, especially for our STEM students. They have a lot of challenges with the writing portions of the application. At Penn State, we prepare wonderful STEM professionals. We have prepared great scientists. We do not necessarily prepare the greatest writers on the planet in, in our STEM majors. And that's not your fault. You know, it's not the design of the curriculum. They are not trying to develop the next Tennessee Williams of science, right? They're not trying to have the great American novel be about protein synthesis, right? Like that's not the goal here. <laughs> so it's not really a reflection of the curriculum, but by using these prompts and doing them over time, you are developing the skill over time and you're doing it in an applied way. So when you do get to, to the point of your application, you have some practice sort of articulating your thoughts around these concepts, ideas, and experiences. And it really does make a huge difference. So that's our first portfolio. And it's really developed, it was really developed to help our earlier stage students get themselves ready and to be thinking about the right things as they're preparing themselves for that future application. Our other portfolio is our application portfolio. Now you get access to this portfolio after you complete the intent to apply form at the beginning of the year in which you attend, intend to apply. So if you, let's say that you are planning to apply this coming spring, you hopefully submitted your intent to apply form a few months ago. We usually will release that in late September and we start collecting the names and some information of all of our uh, upcoming applicants starting in the fall. So in addition to sort of collecting the information, we also add you to our Canvas course for students who are applying in the next section, uh, the next cycle, sorry. That's helpful for a lot of reasons. One, it creates a great space for our students to connect with other applicants going into the cycle. But most importantly, it provides you access to the application portfolio. The application portfolio is a mimic of the primary application. Certain elements of it are standard across all the health professions. 
the biographical details is the same no matter which health profession you're applying to. We also have a section on your grades, your GPA, and your test scores. We've created an Excel document that replicates how your GPA and your GPAs are calculated by each health profession using the rules and details provided by the application services. So that's great. You can get to know those numbers. But what we've also done is often your grades are presented in graphical form to the admissions officers. And so we've recreated that in this Excel sheet as well. So you get to see how you're viewed by admissions on the other side of the table. We also do have you submit a draft of your personal statement. It's really important for us to know how you are telling your story within the confines of what's being asked for in this document. We recreate the work and activity section. A lot of students want to treat this basically just like a rehash of a resume, and that's a pretty big mistake. If all you do is recount your duties and responsibilities, you're missing out on the power of this section of your application. Should those items be there? Absolutely. But there's a lot of strategy behind how to really finesse this section, and our application portfolio does help students do that. We also have you develop your letter of recommendation plan in a lot more detail. You have that final list of evaluators. And really, these are the evaluators that you've had, that you've asked, and who have confirmed that they're willing to write your letters. That's when you add them to this list. So whereas in the developmental portfolio, you're sort of saying, I can consider these people. In the application portfolio, it's, these are the people that I've asked. And then the last part of that portfolio are sample secondary essays. So each year, we get um, the secondary essays from various schools that are super common for our students to apply to, and we collect those into this section of the application portfolio. And we do that because secondaries really make or break an application. You can, you know, be a virtuoso at all of these materials and take months to prepare them. Secondaries have a bit of a shelf life. You really should be getting them and returning them to these schools within two to three weeks. Under two weeks is really ideal. But obviously, like, you know, that's not feasible for every applicant, but it is what every applicant should shoot for. Um, And there's a lot of strategy and there's a lot of ways to really drop the ball in the secondary essay portion of the application. And so we ask students to select a school and you write your responses for the secondaries for that school. So once you complete that portfolio, at Penn State, you can then do what's called the comprehensive interview process. And there will be a separate podcast explaining that comprehensive interview process, what it is, how we do it, what the purpose is, and how we've designed and developed it to support our students and applicants. Unfortunately, right now, because of our limitations in our office, we only provide those comprehensive interviews to our medical students, our dental students, our optometry students, and our podiatry students. We just only have so much time and so many humans to do all of this stuff. But it is a really great 
exercise. It's a great process. Our students that do participate in our comprehensive interview process have over a 20% greater chance of finding success in the application cycle, even with lower metrics overall. So it's a really good process to help students who just need that extra boost to be wonderful applicants. So this week, I really wanted to focus on letting you in to this really helpful tool that we've sort of split in half. It used to be one giant thing. Now we've sort of separated it for different populations because using this in the right way will help you stay in touch with yourself, who you are, but most importantly, who it is that you hope to become as a future healthcare provider. The primary application is a great way to tell schools who you've been. And the secondary essays and the interview help you communicate to schools who you are looking to become. But they don't want to listen to who you want to become if you haven't told them a good story about who you already are. And the portfolio system really helps you accomplish that. So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you have any questions, please schedule an appointment with a pre-health advisor. Um, If you have not joined our Canvas group or gotten the pre-health referral, there is information on our website on how to get that referral and how to get yourself in to meet with us. But in the meantime, I really look forward to talking to you again next week on the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast. The Penn State Pre-Health Podcast is a production of the Pre-Health Advising Office and the Eberly College of Science at Penn State University. It is produced, edited, and promoted by the Pre-Health Advising Team. The views, opinions, and advice shared during this podcast are that of the hosts and any guests only, and do not necessarily reflect the best advice for every student at every institution for every health profession. This is a nonprofit podcast made for the purpose of better serving pre health students across the university system.